Welcome back to Living Richer. As always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkowitz. Today, you're listening to episode 12, and this is the first in a three-part mini-series that we're doing that's going to look at the role of insurance in your financial plan. And depending on what stage of life you're in and what your goals are, different types of insurance can certainly play very different roles. Everything from risk management to tax strategies to estate planning to how business owners and professionals can utilize different types of insurance. And because they can play so many different roles, what we're doing is we're breaking this series down into age buckets. And this episode, we're going to focus on the main concerns for individuals and families roughly in the 25 to 40 year old age group. And to help me out with this, I brought in Greg Jismajan. Greg's an estate planning advisor here at Raymond James, and not to toot his horn too much, but Greg has been so incredibly helpful to our clients that I felt I really wanted to have him on to talk about it. The thing about Greg is he really knows how to filter the complex world of investing, insurance, tax, and estate planning down into clear, actionable steps. And at the end of the day, that's what allows people to get things done. So without any further ado, on the other side of this intro, I have for you, Greg Jismajan. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. Hey, Greg, welcome to Living Richer. So glad to have you here. Um, Greg, why don't you just take a, a minute and tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background, and um, I don't know, maybe some interesting tidbits. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you want to know, but uh, well, I'm, I'm an estate planning advisor at Raymond James, as you know, um, and delighted to work with the clients of advisors like you, helping them figure out uh, the world of insurance and estate planning. Uh, been at this for many, many years. I won't say how long, <laughs> uh, but I'm not had... sure who's been in the in their line of work longer, you or I. <laughs> well, we can battle that out later if you want. <laughs> yeah, but I've I've learned most of what I've learned, quite frankly, from my clients and the the advisors that surround them. So the lawyers and the accountants that I've had the, the pleasure of working with um, and seeing real life situations uh, has taught me far more than the books and the the courses that I've taken. It's, it's actually very interesting that you say that, that you've learned more from your clients than you have from, you know, courses and books and things like that. Um, you know, I never really thought about it, but I, I think that, you know, that sort of experience is what has helped me as well, because I don't think that there's any amount of, you know, chapters in a book uh, that can cover all of the different scenarios that we're going to encounter in our career. So uh, that, that's actually a very interesting point. Um, so for today, of course, what we wanna do is take a look at how insurance applies to the younger generation. And when we say younger generation, um, people may be in their 20s up to age 40. Um, and we call that the family market. People that have I guess, uh, life situations that may or may not include kids. Uh, they may or may not include a mortgage. Um, and they may or may not have, you know, high income or and, and, and different types of savings. So why don't we just get started and take a look at within this age category, is there actually a best time to be getting 
life insurance. Absolutely. Okay. And it's called, it's called yesterday. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but the next best thing to yesterday is today. Okay. And, and I genuinely uh, say that. And I, I got to tell you that uh, this is near and dear to my heart. I'm, you know, although uh, from a professional standpoint, it may not be the highest income generating group of people, mm-hmm. but it is, uh, in my opinion, the group of people that, that need our help the most. Um, they're the ones with the greatest potential, the greatest, also the, the greatest risk in their future. Um, and they don't have the resources yet that those in their 50s and 60s perhaps do. So they're much more vulnerable and don't feel it, right? right. Think back when you were 20, um, you didn't feel vulnerable at all. And the fact that you didn't even know what that word was. Uh, but but th- there is a significant concern and risk that I, I always bring to the table. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, this, this group needs our help. Um- are there any risks that would be greater than others? And, and I mean, I, I mentioned yeah. life insurance, but I know that there are lots of different types of insurance that people consider. And, and you know, they might look at things like critical illness or disability or, or and of course, life insurance. And um, so within that group, um, are there certain types of insurance that might mm-hmm. play more or less of a role? Yes. Well, absolutely. I mean, quantitatively, if you just look at it purely statistically, um, the, the risk of um, morbidity, as we call it, that is the risk of a health event or, um, you know, a, a catastrophic health concern happening is far greater than one passing away in their 20s. Um, it's probably a factor of four or five that, that between age 20 and age 65, um, you know, the chances of dying is very, very small mm-hmm. compared to the possibility of becoming sick or ill for an extended period of time where it, it gets in the way of work uh, and therefore has financial implications. A single, single biggest reason for um, home foreclosures by banks is a disability, not the loss of a job, which most people think is is the cause. So you you think about the people in their mid-career life where they probably have a mortgage, that's the biggest risk. But turn it back to today and think about the 20, 30-year-old individual or couple. Um, You know, it's not so much that these things are going to happen today or tomorrow. So I would, I would agree. I mean, that's, that's a very small, low risk. Even the disability possibility is fairly low. But the nature of insurance is such that unlike any other product you buy, you buy it when you don't need it. Right. Because when you do, because when you do need it, you can't get it. It's too late. Yeah. So, you know, you wait for your TV to break down before you go and shop for a new one. And that's fine. You Mm -hmm. don't have a, you don't store a, a, a good TV downstairs in the basement in case this one breaks. Right. When none of us do that, but life insurance is exactly that. It's it's having a redundancy plan of something that will step in if the main one doesn't work. And the main one being my ability to show up at work. If I can't be there, then I need income to replace that. And that's that redundancy plan, if you will. So in order to assure that I have that in the future when it might happen, mm-hmm. I've, got to, I've got to have that redundancy plan today. Okay. So, and, that, and that's long-term disability. 
Yeah, long-term disability, critical illness insurance are the two areas that I would say are are dealing with the health concerns. Right. Uh, and then life insurance, as we know it. So let's let's perhaps distinguish between those two. Yeah, no, no, and, and I think that when you say between those two, or, or maybe the, those three, long-term disability, three, critical yeah. illness, and, and life insurance, uh, specifically long-term disability and critical illness, I think there's there's a lot of confusion um, yes. surrounding those two, and and sort of what's the difference? Well, and people will say, I've got long-term I'll, disability. I'll Why there, do I need critical illness? I'll throw in there another one, which is long-term care. Uh, okay. which is also to do with health. So yeah. let's, let's, let's deal with the health related stuff for a moment. We'll, okay. we'll set aside the life insurance. So, so insurance for when you're alive. Yeah. That's While you're alive, about. but you're not exactly hundred percent healthy Got it. for one reason or another. Yep. Uh, so in a gradation of things that could potentially happen, mm-hmm. um, you know, on one end, you might have something that interrupts your work, but it's not catastrophic. It's not the heart attack or cancer or stroke or anything like that, but it's uh, an ailment that uh, keeps you away from work, uh, not necessarily full-time, but even, you know, your doctor says you can't go in half days or whatever, that, that Im- impacts your ability to earn an income. And disability insurance, properly structured, will protect your income capacity at that point. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a partial disability or a full disability, there'll be some benefit being paid to you to supplement or to replace your income during that period of recovery. And if that recovery is never, so if you're you're unable to come back to work uh, indefinitely, then these contracts will continue to pay an income uh, Mm tax-free all the way to age 65 uh, on a monthly basis. These are typically paid out on a monthly basis. Yeah. So that's traditional disability insurance. Okay. And and then just uh, quickly, before we move on to critical mm-hmm. illness, um, I think it's important that people know, and when we don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole, that with long-term disability, there's all of these different kinds as well, uh, whether it's same occupation or uh, any occupation and uh, mm-hmm. what would necessarily qualify as being disabled, whether it's physical or or mental, um, there, there's all these different things. And, and so I think that right. when listening are saying, well, yeah, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. And maybe I should be have, looking at long-term disability. They have to understand that that in and of itself is a fairly complex area. It is. It is. That, that, quite frankly, again, I'm, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but our, our profession, that's our business. And, and when, when it comes to those distinctions you're talking about, it really, you really do need professional help. Right. Uh, far too many people rely on what they think is their um, great plan at, at work, their group disability policy. But I assure you, there's a whole bunch of lawyers out there that make a good living mm-hmm. um, making uh, a distinction in those gray areas that exist in those contracts. Right. Uh, so group insurance may cover you for 60 or 70% of your income. But what happens after two years when it becomes what, what you referred to as the any occupation definition? And suddenly your ability to, to do something uh, remote in your background precludes you from being totally disabled and you're no longer being paid by your group benefit plan. Right. And, and you call the, the lawyer and say, Hey, help me out here. Well, I sure uh, hear a, you, a lot of those commercials for lawyers. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, that's, that's a gray area right. and that's, no, and it, uh, it that's you need yeah. to, you need to argue for your rights if, mm-hmm. if you are in the right. Uh, but unfortunately, that, that doesn't always work out the way you want it. So right. 
private products uh, can also be defined that way. But most of the plans that we put in place for our, particularly for our professional and white collar clients uh, would be uh, something that protects their ability to come back to what they do regularly. So the regular occupation, as opposed to any occupation. Right. And that's only one of the, one of the layers of distinction between personal insurance and group insurance. I mean, there's a whole uh, portability of, of the coverage issue uh, and all the other nuances of, of the contract. So that's- and, and, and I think that this is that rabbit hole. That I was just yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll stop so. there. Perhaps a, a, another session altogether right. on that one. So, yeah. but, and then critical illness, how does that differ from long-term disability? Sure. Uh, let me give you an analogy that perhaps might make this a little simpler. Uh, think of your car, and mm-hmm. the devices that are in your car to keep you safe in the event of an accident. Um, Seatbelt, airbags, seat, seat belt and airbag. Those, those two things. Yeah. The uh, long-term disability is your seatbelt. You know, I remember the days when we, we would drive around without them, but, but I don't think anybody fathoms the idea of getting into their car today without putting on their seatbelt. At least right. I hope they don't. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's also the airbag. So the seatbelt is your, you know, go-to thing to keep you safe, uh, which is like your disability insurance plan. The airbag is the critical illness plan. It's the thing that that takes the sudden impact of a major uh, collision mm. away. And in, in, in that sense, what critical illness insurance does is it pays out a lump sum, not a monthly increment, but a lump sum amount right. um, at, uh, you know, 30 days after being diagnosed of a heart attack you suddenly receive the, the benefit. Um, whether you use it for medical purposes or not, doesn't matter. It's, and it's I think received. that that's actually an important point because a lot of people think that, you know, I have to use it for medical purposes, but, but you don't. So no. th- th- that it's money no, is yours. No receipts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to evidence anything. Uh, the only uh, requirement is that there's a medical diagnosis right. of the covered ailment. So the typically thing. these contracts have 25 covered conditions. Mm-hmm. So the big three are heart attack, stroke, and cancer. Got so it. you, you are diagnosed with one of those, uh, and you survive 30 days. But, and, and just quickly though, yeah. um, and, and here we are in, at the end of March, 2021, COVID doesn't fit into that anywhere, does it? No, okay. it is not one of the covered conditions, okay. but you could end up with COVID and have secondary ailments as a result of that, that trigger the benefit. So for example, if it leads to uh, a stroke because you had uh, AstraZeneca and you had blood clot and it it caused a a stroke. uh, Let's pour (laughs) out. Yeah, sorry. By the way, I got the AstraZeneca on Sunday. Did, so did you really? Oh, that's amazing. I Congratulations. (laughs) I I, I signed up for a a wait list. So yeah, Uh, I'm happy for you. Yeah. But we digress. Yes. So we're, sorry, where were we? <laughs> I, I love when we just kind of veer off topic. Um, That's so, okay. So uh, COVID doesn't fit in to critical illness. Correct. Um, okay. So it's, it's, it's definite covered conditions. So that's, that's an important distinction, actually, that you just made, um, that uh, a disability insurance plan, so the, the, the seatbelt, mm-hmm. doesn't matter what kind of collision you have. It's always operable, as long as you put it on. As right. long as you have it, Yep. and if you've engaged it, you're paying your premiums, mm-hmm. then, then that will always protect you from any kind of accident. Oh, the bump in the parking lot yeah. uh, or the major catastrophe on, on the highway. Okay, mm. it, It'll always keep you safe and secure attached to your the shell of this metal 
box you're in, right? right. That's the intention. Uh, but the airbag has a as a tolerance at which it will trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will not always deploy. Uh, some might complain about their easily deployed uh, airbags, and that's another problem. But but generally, it's designed to only deploy when there's a sudden major impact, similar to criticalness. It's only meant to deploy or pay out if one of these 25 covered conditions occur. Got it. So the the other thing is people start to wonder, well, okay, I I get it. I should have life insurance. I should have critical illness, long-term disability, maybe all three. How do I know how much I should get? You know, what's the right amount? Does having more life insurance or having more disability mean that you should by necessity have more critical illness or, or are they all sort of independent, those amounts? That's, that's a good point. I, I would uh, holistically look at the overall picture of a client and um, there is such a thing as being overinsured, absolutely. But it's, it's very difficult to do that because most insurance underwriters don't want to take that kind of risk. Overinsurance has a risk of its own. You know, if you have too much of a, a price tag on your life, uh, you become a target indirectly or di- directly. You know, if someone knows that you're worth 10 million dead, um, they might have a contract on you. Like literally, this, this, these are, these are things happens. that happens. Well, that, yeah, that's, those oh are the God. kind of things that underwriters think about. So okay. it's unlikely that any underwriter is going to approve you for too much insurance anyway, right. particularly in the area of disability insurance. There are upper maximums that prevent you from getting uh, more coverage than you earn. So mm-hmm. there's already an upper limit right there. Right. Uh, but back to the core question, you know, you, you figure out how much is enough. Yeah. And traditionally it was said, you know, 10 times income was the appropriate, you know, measurement. But that's a very crude and overly simplistic approach right. because it doesn't take into account your age, your income, your other assets, uh, you know, what other, what other existing uh, insurance you already have. Those aren't factored in that kind of analysis. So I would say um, it, it really needs to be assessed from the standpoint of, okay, what do I need to pay off my debts? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do I need to replace uh, a reasonable portion of my income? Yep. And then subtract from that existing uh, other assets that I might, I might have. Maybe I have $100,000 saved up in a, a TFSA already. Mm-hmm. That's there as a, the, the plan B, as we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the redundancy plan. You know, insurance isn't necessarily the product insurance. Insurance is having that resource, that backup plan. And one could have a very wealthy family that would step in and and have that confidence and say, you know what, I don't need to do this. Right. I don't necessarily agree with that, but mm-hmm. but that is that is an option. And within this age category that we're looking at, you know, 25 to 40, you can have a 40 year old that is in a very different, even though their income might be the same, their family situation could be different. I mean, I had kids relatively young. Uh, We were in our late twenties, but you could have someone in their late thirties having kids. And I mean, you talked about debt and all of that, uh, but we're also wanting to make sure that our kids are taken care of through whatever period of time, if it's right through university, making sure that they're able to get set up in life the way we'd like them to. So if there's someone in their early or mid twenties, that's uh, having kids, they, they, you know, and, and they're looking at getting insurance, they might be looking at the same amount as somebody who's in their late thirties or, or even early forties. 
-hmm. if they're looking at that alone. So right. uh, I, I guess that, that that's just, I, I know you didn't really mention that, but that, that was something that sort of stuck with that's me. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think, you know, just purely looking at someone's age isn't enough. You're, I think that's the core of what you're pointing out. Right. You really have to look at the context and say, you know, if someone started having children later uh, or purchased a house at 39 and have a, has a mortgage for 25 years starting at 39, right. as opposed to someone at 25 buying their first house and, and you know, knowing that probably by the time they're 50, they're going to have it paid off, you know, the different cycles, different times. Right. Uh, so that's why doing a proper needs analysis for the given individual is, is key. Let me let me introduce one thing in here, which I think is part of what you want to get at. Oh, I like that the needs um, analysis, by the way. That 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 that, that was one yeah. I was going to throw out, and I go, I, I'm going to mention to Greg about a needs analysis, and of course, sure enough, he beat me to it <laughs> because because I think that that no, is no such an important point. You know, it really is because people yeah. don't necessarily look at their individual situation. You know, rules of thumb and things like that just don't cut it. A proper yes. insurance review looks at every person as an individual, you know, their, their income, their expenses, their assets, their liabilities, what their needs are before coming up with, this is yeah. what you need. Yeah. It's not a flip of a coin and say, Oh, you look like a million dollar person. Let's get right. a million dollar policy. Uh, um, just not that's, that's, that's okay. But that's, you know, I personally, when I'm purchasing anything, I want to know, why am I buying this one over that one? Mm -hmm. And how does that fit my budget? How does that fit my room? If it's a object, you know, lots of variables. So no different with life insurance, you want it to fit you. The, the, right. the customer needs to know that it's customized to them. And mm -hmm. it doesn't take a lot to do that. I mean, I, we're not trying to make this overly complicated. Uh, this, this turns out to be a one page summary that I typically show to a client and explain what I just described as being the needs analysis. It's not overly complex, but it needs to be done. Right. Now with, with, with someone in their early twenties, let's say, um, and, and age aside, younger individual who perhaps hasn't launched into all the wonderful things of life, like a mortgage, children, marriage, uh, you know, long-term relationship, you know, those things perhaps aren't yet uh, real in their life. Perhaps they are living at home. Um, and you'd say, well, they have no risk. They have no obligations. They have no, um, you know, debt. Um, you know, they've got a bit of savings because they're living at home. Um, why would they need insurance? You know, right. if they became disabled, their home. If they died, unfortunately, the parents aren't certainly looking to, to gain anything as a result of the death of that child. Correct. Right. Um, and one would say that, why would you buy insurance? Well, let's, uh, let me talk about my own daughter as an example. And I think that might be a, a better way of explaining it. Sure. Uh, I have a 28 year old daughter. She's at home. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in her third set of uh, studies now, uh, soon to become a massage therapist. Okay. So I'm looking, looking forward to, uh, to, to being treated. Uh, we have a little uh, um, portable table downstairs. So you know, I've got we'll a kink that. in my neck, right? Yes, yes, yeah, I'm sure right. you do. <laughs> All of a sudden, everybody's got I, kinks in their neck. I have a solution yeah. for that, by the way, but I'll, I'll tell you later on. Okay. Um, so, you know, 
aside from the fact that I had bought her a policy as a, as a child when she was one, and that's perhaps another segment too, um, but when she was of age, you know, and of age, I mean, you know, in her 20s, I finally gave that policy to her and said, okay, this is your permanent policy. You've got a head start on your insurance with this. Okay. Uh, but that was only, it started out at a $50,000 policy. Now it's worth about 130, 140,000 and it's got $20,000 of cash. So certainly more than I had when I started off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's got this to her name. Uh, but I look at her and I say, okay, well, eventually she will marry. Eventually she will have a mortgage. Eventually she will have children. Hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. all of the, the above. Um, and hopefully she's healthy and good for many, many years to go. But what if she's not? Right. And so I have to step back and say, do I want to take the risk as a parent, forget about as an insurance person, do I want to take the risk that in the future, she becomes uh, enabled to, unable to get coverage mm-hmm. to protect her family, to protect her child, to protect against the mortgage uh, for the people she loves, not that I would gain, but for her to be able to protect the people she cares about. Right. What if she's not able to get it because her health has changed? Mm-hmm. And it, it might not be health, by the way. It could be that, you know, as a massage therapist, she's out on uh, a, a cruise ship, uh, you know, providing massage therapy, uh, pay, paid very well. But now she's traveling all over the world, which is wonderful, uh, except Canadian insurers might have a problem with where she's going and the kind of risk that's introduced to this. Um, so or she, your occupation well, can definitely impact it. And I, and I think well, a lot of people your, your travel, more so the travel. It's well, not so much what she's, I, I what she's doing. Deep sea divers. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I was cruise cruise ships is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that absolutely. Yes. If, if you choose to become a deep sea diver, yeah. absolutely. Or, or a pilot or, uh, you know, any number of other, you know, you could be a doctor and that that's not necessarily a risk, but as a doctor, perhaps you, you devote two months a year to the central con- continent of Africa to help mm. with, you know, all sorts of medical concerns there. And you, you take the risk of your life going there that you might get Ebola, uh, but an insurer is not going to be very happy with that risk. Got it. So what do you do with that? Well, mm-hmm. all, it's very simple. There's a word called insurability in our world. And insurability really in its essence means your, your right to retain the coverage that you have uh, where regardless of what happens in your future, whether you take additional risks in terms of your vocation or your habits or your um, occupation or whatever, or your health t- takes a turn for the worse, Regardless of what occurs in the future, you have the right to retain and maintain that coverage that you have. So by buying insurance at 20 or 25, mm-hmm. you're, you're buying it at a very low cost because you're young and right. healthy, presumably. Yeah. Uh, and you are now putting the insurance company at risk in such a way that no matter what changes in the future, they can't take this back from you. Right. So they, th- that's guaranteed renewable. Is that... Well, this may apply to all sorts of products, okay? So whether it's critical illness, disability insurance, or life insurance, uh, whether it's term insurance that renews, guarantees renews uh, every 10 years or 20 years, uh, regardless of what product we're talking about, Mm -hmm. these all allow you to step into a relationship with the insurer 
where they're, they're giving you protection for a premium mm-hmm. and how that premium changes in the future may change, Right. but they don't have the right to X you out of the contract. They can't throw you out. Very they might be able to increase the price based on an agreed amount uh, upon arrangement up front, not subject to the fact you've now picked up smoking or that you are now taking flying lessons. Got it. All right. It's, it's not subject to any of that. Very good. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think we covered most of what we wanted to do. We wanted to keep, uh, you know, the, within this series, we wanted to keep them relatively concise. Was there anything that we sort of missed out um, or or any major points that the family market, uh, the age 20 to 25 to 40 group, you know, that, that you wanted to make sure we include? Yeah, I think, I think there's one thing we should just uh, interject here. Okay. And that's uh, bank insurance. Oh, right. So yeah. for example, if somebody's got a mortgage, uh, very often we know that when they go into the bank, they get a mortgage right away. They talk about mortgage insurance. Right. And, and, and that is typically a form of life insurance, correct? Absolutely. Okay. No matter what you what you call it, the the reality is that you must die in order for that to pay out. So right. So this is life insurance from the bank. So go ahead. Right. So this might also be not just mortgage, but it could be attached to your line of credit or, or car loan or what, any any form any sort of, of debt. debt any it. form of debt. Um, you know, uh, these products are horrible in in simple terms. Really. I, yeah, they are. Um, they are not underwritten up front, even though you're asked a few medical questions up front. Mm-hmm. Technically, what actually happens is that you are underwritten at the time of claim when you're not there to argue. Let me get, make sure I got this straight. You apply and, and they give you mortgage insurance. You pass away. And that's what you're talking about. You're not there to argue. And right. then they determine whether or not there's insurability? Whether or not you qualified when you applied. Yes. Could have been years and years ago. Most clients aren't aware enough about what's being asked on the application. And most lenders are not trained in the area of insurance to ask the questions appropriately and properly. So the provisos that are in those questions are often overlooked. Um, So, you know, you might have had to have disclosed that, you know, two years ago, you had some sort of intervention health-wise, that wasn't really clear in the question. And suddenly that's being brought to light at the time of claim. And the insurer says, wait a minute, we can see, um, you know, 18 months prior to your application, you you were in for surgery on this. And of course, they're not talking to you now, they're talking to your spouse or to your children. Um, And unfortunately, because of this, we're not going to pay. All you're going to get is a refund of your premiums. They give you your money back and say, thanks for doing business with us. Right. And uh, wow. Now, aside from that, you know, price-wise, in many cases, it's much more expensive and it's tied to your lender. So if you are, let's say, at a five-year mortgage at your traditional bank mm-hmm. and the five years comes up and you now shop around, as many of us do, and I, I think a lot of people are doing these days with the rates they are. Yeah. Um, and you find that the other bank across the street is going to give you a quarter percent less on okay. on the next. So what do you do? You you negotiate. You you, you get Go that. The other right? bank, sure. Going to save you a few hundred bucks a month. Yep. Of course you're going to do that. Well, guess what? Your your insurance doesn't go with you. It 
it was with the other lender. So mm. now you're entering a new contract, a new arrangement with a new and new new lender, and you'd say, well, okay, well, we'll do a new one. But what if in the last five years your health has changed, mm-hmm. and now you're not able to answer appropriately on the questions that they ask you? Are you going to go back to the other bank and say, I'll pay the extra quarter percent because I want to keep my insurance? You know, th- th- these are the kind of things that that happen when when you're insurance decision is linked to your lending decision. And those should be decoupled and separate and you should have autonomy and have complete control on your contract for life insurance, independent of your lending. So, so let me get this straight. So uh, getting life insurance on a mortgage through a bank can cost you more in terms of premiums Mm -hmm. and all of these potential repercussions down the road. Yes. Um, yet yep. it's quite popular. Uh, is that out of convenience or? Yes. Yeah. It's convenience. It's just one more signature while you're trying to get your money. And, uh, you know, people are quick to say yes. And, and it's far easier, honestly, than, mm-hmm. than the process that we put our clients through. But guess what? That, that underwriting we do, that the, the series of questions, uh, potentially, you know, a visit by a nurse to get a, a blood sample or urine sample, right. those inconveniences, uh, are a necessary part of getting uh, a parachute that you know doesn't have a hole in it. I mean, right. let's put it that way, you know, uh, in order to make sure that it's been packed properly and has, is, is sure to open up when I need it, uh, those are the things you have to go through. So it's, it's more convenient. You're right. Right. So then if somebody goes and uh, says, all right, I, I don't want to, you know, go through getting insurance from the bank, I'm going to do it on my own. Um, and then they go and apply for insurance on their own and, and, and then they maybe don't qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The reason that they perhaps didn't qualify might in the end be the same reason why mm-hmm. the bank would in the end not, not pay. pay yeah. you, uh-huh. right. and, 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 and better, better to know that I don't have that, that protection up front. Uh, right. So you don't have any false delusions of, of protection. Right. Uh, and perhaps you're more diligent about how you save up and pay down. And, you know, you, at least knowingly, right. you can now arrange your affairs appropriately. Uh, but honestly, you know, it's, it's very rare that we get declines in life insurance these days. Mm. Um, you know, most of the time, there's a lot more wiggle room in, in, well, I mean, it may cost more because there's an added risk because of what you do or what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but typically insurance companies will offer um, a, an adjusted premium if there is an added risk. Whereas your mortgage insurance, it's one premium or no premium. And with that one premium, you better be in that category that they would have assumed as, as a good risk. There's no gray area uh, discussion Whereas with private insurance, you have the ability to negotiate, say, okay, you know, you're going to charge me more. Maybe I'll take half of the coverage for, you know, a little bit more premium, but at least I've got some coverage that I can depend on. Well, that, that's, that, that's really great information. Uh, so I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll wrap it up there. And, um, and of course, this is just the first episode in our three-part mini-series. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. In our next episode, we're going to be looking at that mid-career group. And if you're a business owner uh, or a professional, like a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, uh, I'm going to be talking to you, Greg, about some of the 
tax and estate strategies that people may not necessarily be aware of. Uh, so uh, for all our listeners, uh, you really want to listen in here in, into the next episode. And uh, I think you'll pick up some very valuable information. So thanks to everyone for listening. And by the way, if you do enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you've got any questions for Greg, you can certainly reach out to me through our website, livingricherwealth.com. I'm, of course, always available on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time on Living Richer. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James Advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Chimpovitz, and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and is tolerant before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Fund.